0: It's Thursday, July 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio and Supernova, Simon Erickson. How are you, man?
1: Pretty good. Happy Thursday to you. Happy Chris.
0: Thursday. You know why it's a happy Thursday? Because I guess the people at the New York Stock Exchange called the Geek Squad and had them come over and visit, and everything appears to be running at the Thank New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. Um, Here's how this let me say this to our listeners: a little behind the scenes of, of how we arrived at this particular episode. So last week, Simon is doing some research, visiting some companies in Silicon Valley. He sends me an email, says, Hey, I'm, I'm visiting these companies. Happy to come on Market and talk about it if you're interested. I was like, that's great. Love to do that. What day works for you? Uh, Simon says Thursday works for me. Great. So, so here he is on Thursday. Um, and we're going to start with cybersecurity, <laughs> which, again, a little bit more behind the scenes. Yesterday, Aaron Bush and Mark Reith and I were in here. We were talking about, among other things, United Airlines and their technical problems. And we were getting ready to wrap up the podcast. And my phone buzzes, and I look at my phone while Aaron Bush is talking, and it's an email alert from The Washington Post saying, trading has been halted at the New York Stock Exchange. And I just thought, well, that's odd. And so, Aaron continues to talk, and I go on Twitter, and I just sort of look around, and I'm looking at my feed, and everyone is tweeting about how trading is halted, and no one knows why. And a couple of people are raising the the prospect without saying it overtly. They are raising the prospect of, well, you know, one time when this happened, it was you know, you know, due to terrorist activity. And I just thought, okay, so do I mention this before we wrap up, Mark Fuller? No, I'm not going to say anything because we don't know anything. We don't know anything. And now we know, Simon, that uh, you know, glitches. It appears not to be a cyber attack, but. At the moment, we're we're just going to assume that the New York Stock Exchange people were, you know, were good. Like, no, this is tech, just glitches. You know, it's almost like I knew that in advance, Chris. Yeah, I was going to say, you would you would think that uh, ideally we had the foresight to leave with this. No, it just kind of worked out that way. But let's start with. Cybersecurity and sort of the meetings that you had around that, and and I think one of the main companies. I mean, this is this is an issue. This is a, an industry that increasingly technology companies are working on. But
1: FireEye, that's kind of their bread and butter, isn't it? It is, you know. And one of the to set the scene for this, the the cyber terrorism. Industry is changing quite a bit now. This, you know, early days of the internet, you might have had the Nigerian prince trying to, you know, get your bank account so he can just he can just give you fifty million dollars if you give him the details. Those days are gone. You know, we're now getting state-sponsored attacks coming from foreign governments that are highly sophisticated and and a new form of, of viruses and malware and all this other stuff we haven't seen before. And the industry changing the way that it is, it's not just about endpoint protection, which is about a laptop or a computer anymore, but you've got these viruses tunneling all over networks and places that are harder to uh, to expose them and to fix their problems. And FireEye, you know, is one of those companies that's addressing that. I think that they're really doing a pretty good job of proactively going out, figuring out what the bad guys are cooking up for new viruses and addressing the problems before it's too late.
0: Maybe not that surprising that FireEye is up about four percent today. Because, uh, again, maybe not the case with the New York Stock Exchange, but you know, I think the combination of United Airlines and their problems, the New York Stock Exchange being down for about four hours, and also the Wall Street Journal's website being down for however long it was down, I, uh, it's certainly something that uh, is probably top of mind for a lot of investors today. Um, FireEye doing well Not a small company by any means. It's about market cap is like seven, eight billion dollars. But they're also going up against the likes of Juniper Networks,
1: Cisco. They're they're up against some much bigger fish. So the the multiples throughout the industry have expanded ever ever since Intel bought up McAfee a few years back. Cybersecurity has become more and more important, and the market's starting to realize this is a much bigger I hate to say it but market opportunity than than maybe it was ten years ago, and I think that, that that's reflected in the increasing valuations and in the stock prices too, and and I think that. You know, FireEye still has only got about 25 percent of the Fortune 500 as customers today. But I think that you know, in the future, this becomes a bigger problem, and and that's good for business for a company that's working on cybersecurity. So you don't look at the run
0: that FireEye has had as a stock, which has certainly been a market beater since uh, since it went public. You don't look at that run and think, boy, that's getting that's getting. Pricey, that's getting frothy. We're in like Shake Shack territory in terms of its run-up.
1: No, definitely not. Uh, the reason not to pick on Shake Shack, <laughs> but it was the first one that came to mind. I, I was wondering ter- if that was the first in, one. In terms you're of, of, an, of. A, a stock
0: that certainly, when it was trading over ninety dollars a share. You didn't have to be Einstein to look at that and go, "Wow, that's kind of a crazy price."
1: No, and you know, you you do see some of the financials of this company, and it spooks a lot of people off because they are plowing money into the business right now to gain market share. Because now is the time to 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 spend money to to gain share. But the reason I say no is because there's kind of two parts to this business. One is incident response, and the second is kind of a subscription model. Um, the incident response, I'll say, is the "oh darn" moment. Yeah could use other words, but I'll stick with, oh, darn, right. for the moment. This is a family uh, show. So right, that's you. right. Uh, this is when companies call FireEye, uh, as as Target did, as Sony Pictures did, as several others have, and said, hey, we've got a problem, we need to come in here and fix it. Uh, once you figure out the signature of a virus where it's coming from, a whole bunch of other attributes, FireEye records all of that and gets smarter. About it. And so there's a subscription piece that also will cover you in the future from these not happening to you again. And we're starting to see now that they're getting kind of a critical mass of those incident response customers, they're converting over to the subscription piece. So I think that there's a lot more revenue and earnings coming down the line for these guys.
0: All right, I mentioned Cisco Systems. That was another company you met with. And that company is such a behemoth. They're working on so many different things. What stood out from your meeting with the good people at Cisco Systems?
1: They're doing some neat stuff out there, Chris. Uh, Two of the, the most interesting ones were uses for the Internet of Things in retail and a new term, if you've heard of cloud computing, they now are calling a new term fog computing. No, they're not. It's an actual thing. We're all right, what is?
0: I'll ask. What is fog? I've never heard of this. And what is fog computing?
1: So, cloud computing is you throw everything up into the internet, deciphers all the data, and then it, it beams back down solutions for for things to do. Fog computing is closer to the ground. It's not in the cloud. It's in the fog. So it's more devices making decisions at the device level and then uploading less data to the internet. Now you might ask, why is that important? Because Cisco is going after what they're calling non-carpeted areas for connecting to the internet. Chemical plants, manufacturing equipment—you know, a whole bunch of stuff that's got these 30-year-old systems that have been around for decades, and they're just not working up to snuff or what they could be. And they're doing it to uh, improve the performance of kind of these these out there on the edge things. One example of that, you know, maybe is, is a utility field. The um, transformer goes down. They have to send a guy out there to to check all of these to figure out what the problem is. You're out of power for a couple of days while they're figuring that out. Um, Cisco could connect a utility field area network to monitor which transformer goes out and exactly where they, where should they be fixing the problem to to get a solution. So, is this?
0: W- did you get the sense that within Cisco Systems, this is where? they're focusing a lot of their attention because certainly when when any company but certainly a technology company gets to be that big then you can tell what they're most excited about and what you think are the best opportunities by where they not just put the most dollars but where they put their best people their their best human capital so did you did you get the sense that this is just an offshoot of cloud computing and it's in its infancy and the market opportunity isn't as big or did you get the sense that oh no they think this market opportunity could be as big if not bigger
1: no this this is huge this is big for them you know they're they're referring to a difference between ot and it it you know, information technology, big buildings that have got well-established stuff, and then OT operational technology. You're out in the field. You, know, you, re- you need an upgrade to make this thing more efficient. And they're really going after to improve the efficiency of, of operations of companies.
0: Did anything about your meeting with Cisco Systems change your opinion of where that stock is, in terms of bullishness? bearishness, or just like, oh, I'm just going to sit back and wait.
1: You know, the, the software component of this is getting really interesting. It's not just connecting everything anymore. Um, one of the most interesting things is, is face recognition, Chris. We stood in front of a camera <laughs> that was taking video footage of us, and it could tell what demographic I was, how old I was, and what mood I was in at the time.
0: Was it accurate?
1: No. But it's beta testing. <laughs> okay. We're beta testing. I'm not going to say it's not yep. going to be accurate. But you can see, that, and the reason I'm saying this is they're developing use cases like that. It's not a knock against Cisco for being inaccurate. But you can see how you could use something like this yep. in the future for retail or other applications. So, they're catching on. You know, It's not just about connecting stuff. It's about these machines that are connected getting smarter and using software.
0: Anytime I hear about facial recognition, I, you mentioned retail. That's immediately where my mind goes, and it's it's the movie Minority Report. Uh, with Tom Cruise, I think uh, I think Spielberg directed that, and there's a scene where he's walking through a mall, and all of these uh, walls that have advertisements on it also have cameras and sensors, and so they are recognizing him, and they are. P- it's not just hey, buy these jeans; they're calling him by name and saying, hey, you'd look great in this pair of jeans. So yeah, no, I'm sure that's where we're going, but it's. As, as someone who knows that uh, the rise in the machines is coming and does not look forward to that, I'm happy to hear that uh, we're very much in the beta phase right now and they, they don't have this down yet. I embrace our mechanical overlords when the day comes. <laughs> um, self-driving cars. We, we couldn't not talk about self-driving cars, in part because that's, uh, that's gaining steam.
1: Yeah, and you know this is we we've talked a lot about self-driving cars. We haven't spent a lot of time figuring out how you actually do something like this. You know, one method would be just to try to completely mimic everything that that you're seeing out there from the ground up. Co- code every tree, every glare, every reflection, every shadow you see on a daily basis. But that's almost impossible because you think about how 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 crazy complex vision itself is, and everything you're seeing on a daily basis is. Um, but The game changer, which is going on right now, is they're building, uh, Nvidia is a company that we talked about there for this, they're building neural networks, which are basically centralized brains to group what thing, let me take a step back, (laughs) my brain is not working quick enough to keep up with the neural networks, but it's kind of grouping things that you see together to identify them. So rather than seeing uh, a red octagon, the letter S, you know, a piece of metal, we see a stop sign. Machines have always seen the individual components before, but now they're starting to recognize different shapes that mean different things to them. and that's kind of, This central brain is really kind of changing the game of how self-driving cars will react to all of the inputs that they're taking. Uh, to go back to Cisco
0: systems and the facial recognition software, which is very much in the beta phase, where, did you get the sense from the people at NVIDIA where they are in this process?
1: I think that the uh, the design takes a little bit longer for automobiles. You have to have so many um, precautions since safety is involved and you've got to, you know if something goes wrong there's always got to be something that's a backstop to to fix that. So I think it's a much longer term project than something like a retail that's determining what kind of mood I am when I'm at the at the shopping aisle. But you know, from their perspective, they've, they've released now their Tegra chips. These are these are one teraflop speeds uh, processes. That's faster than the, the fastest supercomputer in the world was in the year 2000. And they're going to start putting these into cars. Cars are going to transmit back what they've seen to a centralized network, which is going to tell them what to do from that. And they're working with some of the largest auto OEMs in the world. So it might be farther along than we think, but we're still on the development side.
0: Do you? Th-
1: is there any sense of
0: where the first Self-driving car is going to come from. Is it going to come from a traditional automaker, or is it going to come from what we think of as a tech company like Google or something like that?
1: Yeah, it's going to come from a company like a Tesla that doesn't even see a car as a car, as it's been seen for several decades. They see it as as a as a data factory, basically. You know, to every everything in Tesla, including the motor, is electric and digital, and is beaming some kind of information, um, you know, back back somewhere at this point. And so, I think that your first round of, of self-driving cars is going to be, again, at the very high end. It's got a bunch of bells and whistles, and it's collecting a lot of data. And you're going to make that more affordable and it's get to the mass market over a couple of years.
0: Did you get a chance to do anything fun while you were out in Silicon Valley? Any, any tips for anyone going there, whether it's a restaurant or just, oh, take time and, and check out this site?
1: We, uh, we spent a lot of time driving around Silicon Valley, which is quite an experience in and of itself. I did go to In-N-Out Burger multiple times. One of my favorites every time I go to California. <laughs> and we traveled. Uh, we also were, were doing some marketing messages, too. So we got to go into San Francisco, which is just an insane city in and of itself. It's a gorgeous so, city, isn't yeah. it? It's crazy how how slanted the, the drives are. The roads, I mean, you know, you've, you're working up a sweat if you're walking from one side of the city to another.
0: Yeah. That's
1: one of those cities.
0: And, and I suppose... I suppose a lot of big cities are like that, but I think in part because of the hills, San Francisco is one of those cities where your skill as a, not just a driver, but as someone who can parallel park a car, you better bring your A game if you're looking to parallel park a car in, in San Francisco. Absolutely. Um, a couple of housekeeping notes before we wrap up. Uh, first, I want to thank Michael Holmes, a longtime listener and a stock advisor member who stopped by Fool HQ yesterday. Uh, so, thank you, Michael, for that. Uh, radio at is our email address uh, regarding our conversation earlier in the week about Greece. Got an email from Rick uh, Stirk or Sturkey. I'm mispronouncing that one way or the other, Rick. I apologize. Listener number 101, Rick writes The first Motley Fool podcast I ever listened to was Money Talk with David Kuo, entitled How to Break Up the Euro. It was dated December 19th, 2010. Keep up the great work. Over five years in three continents, I still listen to Market Foolery and Motley Fool Money, and I dare say I will continue to listen long after Greece exits the Euro, <laughs> though that event could still be a long way off. Um, and finally, speaking of podcasts, something I have uh, floated out there for a couple of weeks, I am now happy to share the news about our brand new weekly podcast here at the Motley Fool and that is Rule Breaker Investing. It is hosted by the one and only David Gardner. It's a weekly podcast, comes out every Wednesday. You can go onto iTunes right now, or Stitcher, or frankly anywhere, there's a podcast platform. Uh, we've put out the first three episodes. Uh, and uh, If you're listening, you, you probably know who David Gardner is, but just in case you don't, he's co-founder of The Motley Fool. Uh, he and his brother Tom, uh, best-selling author. uh, Arguably, uh, not not even arguably, because I don't think it's an argument, he is easily one of the most successful stock pickers of the last 20 years. Uh, And so, this new podcast, Rule Breaker Investing, uh, David uh, lays out the principles of his approach to finding the next great growth stock. Uh, But it's, it's also his insights, his observations about some of the most innovative and disruptive companies out there. Uh, Think of it as a a 10-minute weekly check-in with one of the best growth stock investors of our time. So, Rule Breaker Investing every Wednesday. Check it out when you get a chance. Simon Erickson. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks for sharing all this.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.